0: And thank you, Kelly, and all the worship team. That I really love that song, and something I was thinking about when we were singing it is when we start singing the shout-it part, we're, like, singing very soft. And I never really realized how weird that is, but it's actually not weird at all because you start to build. And by the end, we were pretty much shouting because that's just, you know, you just keep singing louder and louder. And so, um, like, I love that song. That's a perfect song for what both Jason and I are going to be talking about tonight. And so um, this is a night of reflection. And so when you think about reflection, I think about looking in a mirror um, and seeing what's there. So we're not talking about an Instagram filter or an old picture um, or a drawing. We're talking about, like, what you really look like. So what I pray is that everybody does, including myself— because in preparing for this, I've really had to take a hard look at myself and things that I've kind of let slide over the last few months, especially. So, um, so how many of you read the book Embrace? Okay, how many of you read the whole book? Okay, so there's still some hands raised. So at the time, I did not read the whole book. Um, I skimmed through the end of it, um, and I read the last chapter because that was a really good one, but I didn't really read the whole book, and so I just want to encourage those of you that if that was something you remember being really cool at the time, but then kind of forgot about it, pick it up again. Borrow it somebody else who raised their hand, and they read the whole book. Um, So what I want to reflect on is, okay, we read this book during the summer. Um, What's happened? What now? Did it change our lives? Are we embracing people? And so, um, you know, and really, has there been a change in our actions, both individually and um, as a church? Have we truly embraced our neighbor, basically? So that's kind of going to be the theme of what I'm going to talk to you about. Um, So we heard some stories from some some people, and I think everybody kind of has their own story. But if you're thinking, I don't have a story, then there's still time. You can make your own story. Um, and so when I think about embracing others or anytime I hear sermons about, you know, let's go do this, let's do that, I really have to start with God because how am I going to embrace my neighbor? How am I going to embrace those unlike myself if I'm not embracing God? And so I just want to, um, read out the Psalm 73 part of it anyway, and it'll be up behind me for you to read as well. And this is the message translation, which um, if you've never read the Psalms in the message translation, you are missing out because it really makes you think about it differently. You're all I want in heaven. You're all I want on earth. When my skin sags and my bones get brittle, God is rock firm and faithful. Look, those who have left you are falling apart. Deserters. They'll never be heard from again. But I'm in the very presence of God. And oh, how refreshing it is. I've made Lord God my home. God, I'm telling the world what you do. And so there's some pretty intense words there, like all and home and um, the world. I'm going to tell the world what you do. And so this really points us all, just this little clip of this psalm points us to God. Um, And then that thrusts us forward to other people. And so I think about when other people look at my life, they are going to have an impression about who I think God is and who I think God thinks they are. Do, Do my actions show that I think God loves them? If I'm not loving them, and I say I love God and do what God tells me to do, then, you know, I'm telling them a lot. We're always, all of us, we're always telling people, um, not with words, but with our actions, who we think God is. And maybe more importantly, what do we think God thinks about that person? Does God value that person if you ignore them, say? So that's an easy one to answer. There's some that are not so black and white. There's some that are pretty gray. Um, but several years ago um, when some of us had some you know we were having a hard time maybe judging people and this was you know in my twenties so I've kind of gotten over that Not, you know we all still struggle with it but we would regularly remind each other that's the image of God in that person and it kind of shuts you up there's nothing you can say bad about someone when someone else says they're in the image of God like what can you say And so it's frustrating in the best way, really. Um, And so when Adam asked me to kind of give a reflection piece, specifically about these themes that we've been having, um, I really thought about this book, Embrace, that we read. I'm going to share a quote with you in a minute. But um, the first thing that I really thought about was this thing that has happened at my school recently where some students have come out and said, and shown some pretty racist things on the internet. And a lot of those students really said, they're not racist, they're just bad jokes. And the truth is, they were very racist, and they were very hurtful to a lot of people in our school. And and I think the hurt stemmed a lot, not just from what those students did, but from how other people handled it. And so we're dealing with it as a school, and there's a lot of people who've been very uncomfortable lately, and it's the best part. Um, I feel like if you're not uncomfortable, you're not necessarily moving forward in your life. So I just take it as a cue to, okay, I'm going to grow through this part. And so, um, you know, this was something that really made me think about how I interact with my students in a different way, how I allow my students to interact with each other um, and my coworkers as well. We had coworkers. Um, from all different races, it really started to kind of even go out of the, not just race, but people said, I feel invisible at this school. There's other people who look like me, but nobody acts like that, and that hit me so hard because I've been at my school for 15 years. I've been at this church for a little bit less, and the thought of someone feeling invisible in a place where I feel loved, I mean, that's horrible. I mean, I can't ignore that. That's not something I can say, well, I wish they had as good of friends as I do. Or can't they see that it's really, they need just to get over this? They need to get out of their bubble and come into my bubble. And that's not, that's like the worst thing that you can say to someone who says, who actually has the guts to say, I feel invisible. If someone has the guts to say that, we can't shut them down with an easy answer. Because It's, there's no easy answer, okay, and um, to think that we do have an easy answer is really oversimplifying a much bigger problem, and so when I think about this idea of people feeling invisible, my students or people that could feel invisible in this church, definitely people who just feel invisible in the world, you know, it's so destructive, um, When people feel invisible, that's what drives people to not want to live anymore. That's what drives people to want to be by themselves and not interact with people because they don't want to deal with the hurt. And um, it really makes me think about how Jesus. So I want you just to imagine someone in your life that feels invisible. Try to think of a specific person that you know who probably feels invisible. And I want you to think about how would Jesus interact with them if it's someone you see on a regular basis, if Jesus were in your position, your job, your school, your family, how, what would he do? How would he interact with that person? So I'm going to linger here just a second because I really want you to do this. How would Jesus interact with this person who feels invisible? So later on, there's going to be some time for reflection. And that question may be just like where you sit. Um, For me, I know that Jesus wouldn't sit there and just pray for them. He would go out of his way to make the invisible person feel visible. And some people don't feel invisible. They just feel attacked. And that's pretty bad too. And so that's a whole other thing as well. Um, The people thought Jesus... The people that Jesus went out of his way to help, slaves, tax collectors, from all different sides, women, children, um, young people, people who were not experienced in the church. Um, You know, these were not easy people to love at that time. They, for someone who had status, it could have hurt their status to go out of their way and love someone that was supposed to be invisible in their culture. And, you know, we, may, we can sit here and say, well, that's so dumb. You know, women should be valued just as much as men, but they're still not. And people should be valued regardless of their race, but that's still not the case a lot of the time, okay? So, you know, we still have a lot of work to do as a church. And um, one thing I pray is that, this would never happen in our church. This should be a safe place where people feel heard and loved. And, you know, if we're not going out of our way to do that, then we're not really doing the kingdom work. And so, um, sorry if I'm getting preachy, but this is a reflection night. We're taking a look in the mirror, guys. Um, okay, so here's another thing. When I really think about Jesus with Um, Someone who's invisible or for someone who's attacked. You know, he didn't, when he was there with the disciples going into houses, he didn't just not kill someone that he could have killed and got away with it. So sometimes we do this now. We go, well, I'm not going out and saying racist things. I'm not attacking gay people. I'm not, you know, like throwing my McDonald's cup at a homeless guy's face. And that's like good enough sometimes. But it's not, it's not anywhere close. Jesus, the not killing part was so low bar, he took it like way higher. Like if you think about school, it's like above a 100. We're talking about extra credit bonus points. He forgave and loved the people who were killing him as they killed him. And so I don't know about you, but there's nothing in my life that's as bad as people killing me at the moment. Um, Sometimes it may feel that way, um, and we can't discount that sometimes things feel a lot worse than death, but um, Jesus is going so far above and beyond. So we can't hold ourselves at, well, I'm not putting angry tweets out there. I'm not calling people names. I've stopped doing a lot of bad stuff that I used to do. We got to think, what would Jesus do? That's the bar. So when we look at ourselves in the mirror, when we do this reflection, I got to imagine Jesus kind of like right behind my shoulder, you know, and I can't see him right here, but I can see him in the reflection, and I got to compare where I'm at, and we're going to fall short, and that's okay, it's not to feel bad about ourselves, it's to really take a look at what we've learned with what he've taught us, and move forward, we've got to move forward, Um, Jesus gives us everything we need to move forward, And so, just, um, there's going to be a quote up here with the book, and so, you know, what I'm talking about with race and people not like you, you may not feel like that applies to you, but I promise you it does, okay? If you think it doesn't, it actually does, and you just don't know. Um, We all have these hard places, okay? In the book, this is a quote from the book. It's in chapter one if you want to read it. And I'll, I'll tell you the page number. I don't have it written down right here if you really want to find it. Um, but we're in hard pla- if we're in hard places, whether we put ourselves there, someone else put us there, or it was just circumstance, um, hard places push our buttons and bring out the prejudices that we aren't willing to face when we're in our own space. So a good reflection on this would be if you're not feeling like you're in a hard place, then it could be time to go put yourself in a hard place because we all have prejudices. We all have things that we need to be more like Jesus about. And for you, it may not be race, or it may be. Um, It may be education. It may be um, political party. Whatever it may be, it's not a bad thing to have our buttons pushed. It's going to make that reflection crisper and clearer, and hopefully, Jesus is r- still right there to compare to. There's another quote that I don't have a slide up for, but it says, what would it look like if we put a little more trust in the Creator? And so, to me, that kind of implies that we're not always putting that trust in the Creator. I know I'm not. Everything I'm saying, it's because I struggle with it from time to time. Um... And another quote is, maybe your personal prejudices seem relatively harmless. You don't act upon them. This is like the not killing them or not saying bad things thing. You don't act upon them, but in fact, you really don't have much opportunity to interact at all with those others. And the goal of this is, if you look around and everybody looks and acts and talks like you, again, put yourself in a place where that doesn't happen. And I will tell you, the best place to do this is with kids. Because kids tell it like it is, don't you? You tell it like it is. And it's not always pretty, but it's, it's, it's a good challenge. Um, and so then how do we respond to people? And so there is another slide here with this quote. And I really like this quote, and I'm just going to let you kind of read it to yourself. So who does that quote remind you of? Who would maybe say that besides the author of this book? Jesus, you can say it out loud, it's okay. Jesus, that sounds just like Jesus, all those things. And so, that's so easy to say. It's so easy to say and not do, okay? So, when we reflect, I want you to think about the, not just the say, but the do. Um. And the thing that hit me the hardest in this book that I have to share with you is in kind of midway through the book, it talks about, well, a whole lot of the book talks about your Babylon. And the Babylon could be like God sending you to another state to live that you don't really know the people there. It could be a job where the people are tough. It could be that um, your family, it could be, you know, visiting your family on a birthday party. And so, Amy's laughing because I did that last night. So, sometimes you're, the Babylon's different. So, one person's safe place is another person's Babylon. That's the truth. So, um, the author talks about three approaches to living in Babylon. And so, you can choose to remain isolated. That's the easy thing to do. And that's what I tend to do. Um, I've struggled with depression um, a lot throughout my life a lot more in the last few years. So I feel like I've grown closer to God, but that didn't take that depression away. But what has happened is it has, I feel, led towards community and not so much to go inside. Um, So we can choose to remain isolated. We can stay in this hard place and pray for other people to change and be like us, or we can seek community. And so this is like one of those A, B, C, where obviously the answer is C. We need to seek community. And so what approach then? How does that look like for our church? So I've kind of been talking about you as an individual, but I want you to think about what does that mean for our church? Are we seeking this community? Are we allowing ourselves to be sought by them? And what changes can we make? Okay. So now some reflection questions. And I'm just going to kind of read through these and kind of put a, little, a few little things in there. So, who and what are you embracing? Is it Jesus? It should be. We know that. Okay, that's the easy one. Um, is it busyness? So that you don't feel bad when you don't get to do all that important stuff because, hey, you're busy and what you're doing is important. So, what are you embracing? What are we as a church embracing Are we embracing this community? Are we just tolerating it? Are we just showing up, doing the bare minimum, feeling good about it, and hoping that they'll change, hoping that they come to us? What are you resisting? So resisting in its nature is not bad. It can be very good. Um, Resisting the devil, that's a good one. That's an easy one, though. Resisting busyness, that's very difficult for me to do. I find myself saying yes to a lot of things that I should say no to. Um, And so it's good to surround yourself with people that tell you you're dumb when you say yes to something that you really should have said no to, that someone else could have done it. So surround yourself with people who tell you you're dumb from time to time. It's okay. Um, As long as they love you, it's okay. Um, So here's another one. Are you resisting the default of just faking it? It's easy to just come to church, fake it, go home, nothing changes. That's really easy, okay? So the tougher thing to do is to resist that default mode. Like I was saying before about getting out of your comfort zone, it's okay to be uncomfortable. So this is a really important reflection question Who did Jesus embrace? What did Jesus embrace? What did he resist? He didn't just embrace people 100% of the time. What did he have to do sometimes? You can answer. Go away to do what? Be by himself, solitude, pray to the Father. And we kind of need silence for that. We can't just always have people around us. And so for other people, that's their default. Surround myself with people all the time so I don't ever have to actually talk to God or hear what's scarier is hear what he's saying to me. Um, And if Jesus were here right now, who would he be going out of his way to embrace? Like who in our church would he go out of his way to embrace that you may not want to? Who at your work? Who at your school? You know, I feel like he would go out of his way to embrace homeless people, and he would really help them with their needs and not just pray for them. Um, so, you know, a lot of us feel that way at this church, and that can look different for different people. But there is a lot of ways for you to get involved in a homeless ministry. So, if you have never done that and it's kind of scary to you, please talk to me. Talk to Amy Wood, Amy Khan. There's several people here who. Do that, and um, it might be scary, but that's okay. You'll live. Um, And so when we think about what Jesus would do, where would he be? you got to think, what is stopping you? If you know, if you're like, yeah, yeah, I already know all this, but I'm not doing it, then something is stopping you. Something's stopping you from doing his work. And so I want you to reflect on what that would be. So, as some prayer comes up, read it. You may already God may be really tugging on your heartstrings right now to pray something. He may already be talking to you. The Holy Spirit could just be like, already all up in your head. Okay, let that be. Or read one of these, and as Don plays piano, you're just going to have some time to talk to the Lord.
1: All right. So, when Adam asked me to reflect on things we've been talking about over the past couple of months, I really, really, really want to reflect on embrace. Um, But as I was looking over everything and thinking and praying, uh, that wasn't going to happen. Really, I needed to reflect on the flow of work and rest. So we covered embrace, we covered flow of work and rest, we talked about countercultural living, and in the youth group, we covered the Sermon on the Mount. We just wrapped that up a couple of weeks ago. So um, in thinking about this, I'm like, man, this is, this is going to be really, like, confessional for me. And kind of, like, I'm, I'm just going to, like, repent on stage and then start crying and stuff. So bear with me. Have some grace. So um, looking back over the past several months, a couple of words, a lot of words came to mind when I'm thinking about the things we've been studying, but really the two words that were most like boldly in my mind were tired and busy. Um, And I know a lot of people during that time can relate to that, especially in our neighborhood group. Just to give you an example of what I mean, for those of you who don't know, Rebecca and I both work from home. Uh, We work at different sections of a large tech company We're not technical people. Don't ask us to fix your computer. (laughs) Not gonna happen. So, one great thing about working from home is we get to see each other all the time. Uh, You know, one thing that happens quite often is she comes to me with something very excited, like she's very excited that she wants to share, and it usually has to do with like, the neighborhood church, so she's, like, even more excited because of that, and, um, but over the last several months, I've been noticing this sort of cycle. Yeah, I've been very busy working, like, 60, 70 hours a week, so she would, like, come to me, start sharing, and I would turn and be, like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, great, like, all excited with her, and then she would leave, and my excited face would just, like, turn back down to my computer and rejoin my mind, which never left my work, which I was completely focused on, some something emergency happening miles and hundreds and thousands of miles away. It's like just one of those times of work where every email you get has, like, a red exclamation mark. Everything is an emergency or urgent or the most important thing. <coughs> So the problem with that is, you know, we get two, three hours down the road and I would realize that my my wife had this wonderful conversation that I wasn't a part of, that I didn't give myself to her uh, for that conversation. I completely missed out on that joy. So I'd have to go to her and and, and be like, babe, I'm sorry, but I have no idea what you told me. Can you please repeat it? And, uh, of course, she would always forgive me. It's never like, oh, yeah, of course. No, she's, she's excited, so she wants to share it again. So thank you for that, too. Uh, so this, this, this ritual started happening daily. Like, and it kept going on and on and on. And thinking about it, I noticed that the bulk of my attention in my life had shifted to one thing, being work. And also, the second thing that I noticed is my the action in my life, the doing of my life, had become very minimal. Like, it was this cycle of overworking and vegging out, overworking and vegging out. Um, and around this time, there was a really beautiful question that came out of our neighborhood group. It kind of formed out of our conversations. And this, it was... Am I actively engaging in the ideas of embrace, or am I passively relying on my nature to bring these things about? And really, you can substitute embrace for any study we're doing. Am I actively engaging in the ideas of flow of work and rest, of countercultural living, of the Sermon on the Mount, or am I just passively relying on my nature to bring these things about? One thing I've learned working at a large corporation is that businesses no longer measure themselves predominantly by the amount of money they have on hand or assets. Really, instead, values now determine on a ton of factors. And one of the largest factors is how easy it is or how much much attention they can grab and hold. This helps determine, like, a potential value. In fact, I've seen just in the past couple of years, because of like big data and psychometrics, companies are investing billions of dollars in how to grab and hold people's attention. They've realized that the dollar can come and go, and they can make it back any time. But there's really a finite amount of attention in this world. When you give attention to something, you're giving life over to something, and they want that. I started to think about this as we're approaching November and December, which is culturally and commercially the busiest time of year. How can I possibly live out embrace or work a flow of rest or any of these other studies if I don't have any attention left to give? So I revisited two passages during these weeks And uh, one of them is very familiar, or should be very familiar to all you guys, was the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. This is a foundational passage for what it means to be a believer. All right, so the passage starts off, Hear, O Israel. Uh, Or really a more intimately translation of this would be, Listen to me, my sons and daughters. So the Shema starts off with a call for attention. And then it goes on. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Well, okay, let's back up a little bit. Number one is all your lavavka that's your heart, or your passion. All your nafshika that's your mind or your soul. It's kind of the same thing. And this last word is meotika. Uh, A lot of people will say strength, right? And then some people will say body, which actually, like, if you say body on your Hebrew exam, you're going to get that question wrong. It's close, but it's just not close enough. So uh, my Hebrew professor actually explained meotica in this way. It's kind of like the Hebrew equivalent for the word umph. And that's when, like the kids over in the youth, were like, "What? Ump? That's like an old word, right?" So, what exactly is that? It's kind of like the invisible or the metaphysical building block to words like do, or effort, or try. So, love the Lord your God with all your do. It's love and action. So this passage, it gives us brackets, right? It gives us a beginning and an end. And that beginning is here, a call to attention, and the end is do, or love in action. The second passage I thought of was the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which we just went over in youth group. Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus closes his three-chapter sermon uh, with this analogy. He who hears the words I speak and does them, so are hear and do, Is like the wise man who builds his house on a rock. When the rains and floods and winds come, they beat against the house, but it will not fall. But he who hears my words and does not do them is like a foolish man who builds his house on a sand. When those winds and rains and floods come and beat against it, the house will fall with a crash. We see this marriage between hear and do, hear and do. If we are doers of the work of the kingdom, we must first be hearers. We cannot love the Lord our God with all our due, all our effort, if we do not first turn our attention to him. Likewise, we cannot love our neighbors, our wives, husbands, children, etc., anyone else, in the spirit of embrace or any of these studies, unless we first hear them. Once we give our attention to them, we can then act in love. So I have a a couple of comments and questions for us to reflect on uh, while Don plays. The first is a prayer that helped me out. It's this, Lord, thank you for giving me your attention where, you, where do you desire for me to invest mine? We know that attention is, is finite. We cannot create new attention. We have to find where ours is going, identify where our attention is being wasted. For me, it's been work. Uh, for others, it could be their phone or TV or politics. Uh, it could be even hanging out with Rebecca and I none of these things are inherently bad. But if we just constantly say yes to things and never know, they'll become unhealthy and become thieves of your attention. Lord, where are my attention wasters? Or Lord, what are my attention wasters? Lastly, I think if we can keep those brackets of hear and do around our neighbors or our neighborhoods, we give ourselves a chance to live out the ideas of embrace, of flow of work and rest, etc. Lord, help us surround our neighbors with the brackets of hear and do, of attention and love and action. Lord, help us to keep the noise out. All right, join me in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Lord, thank you so much for this time of Reflection, just this space of uh, just thinking on our studies, and uh, Father, thank you so much for allowing Toby and I to share. Um, help us to be more reflective as a people, uh, individually in our neighborhood groups, uh, as a church, as Your Kingdom, Lord. Just enable us to to adopt these truths into our lives, to help us to better manage our, uh, our lives and, and uh, truly embrace our neighbors, truly give them our attention. Um, Father, I know so much that that when someone gives you attention, it's life-giving, Lord. Help us be those life-givers, Lord. Help us show people your kingdom and bring people to you. Father, dear, we love you.
0: In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let us receive the benediction. May the love of the faithful creator, the peace of the wounded healer, the joy of the challenging spirit
1: surround and encourage you today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen, go in peace.